Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this special edition of The Secret Podcast. Now, this is not our normal podcast. This is something that we are trying out going forward. From time to time, new information comes to light, which outdates previous information that we've told you. And enough of it has built up over time where we felt an update of sorts was needed. We also wanted to introduce this special report format, so when big news happens from time to time, like somebody maybe pulls a cask up, we will now do a special report, which will be shorter than the normal podcast, and we'll cover news, current events, online happenings, and anything else secret-related that we're not going to put in our normal podcast. But joining me, as always, from St. Augustine, Florida, is Secret Podcast co-host George Ward. And also, we're coast-to-coast tonight with Matt Sparks out in California, where the weather is usually nice when it isn't on fire or out of water. Thanks for joining me, guys. How you doing? So the way we're going to do this is kind of a roundtable format. Each of us are going to bring one topic to the table of each of the subjects we talk about, and we're going to basically go over all the cities that we've covered in previous podcasts. Some we won't have much to update you on, and some we'll have a lot to update you on. We're going to do this in a round-robin kind of format. Everybody can bring something to the table, and if, if they don't have anything, then they can just pass or whatever. Let's start with news, and I have some. I'm sure most people want to know about the tribute hunt, and I do have some news and info coming up a little later on, but I will say this. We've added more treasure to the treasure. As you know, there's a three-carat pink tourmaline gem that we're giving away for whoever finds the cask. In addition, now we've added 10 bars of .999 fine silver, one-ounce bars. 10 ounces of silver in addition to the pink tourmaline. I'm not trying to build this up like a fen chest or anything. I don't want people to get killed while they're trying to find it, but we thought something a little extra would be would fun to add to the treasure overall and make it a little more worthwhile. What do you guys think? We've got the first hint for you for John's new treasure. You put in where the warm waters halt. <laughs> do you think that's ripping them off too much or no 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 it, it's cool like i think something good about this is us doing it this way where there's a progression can allow us to add to the hunt as you know we see fit so more stuff comes along we can add some stuff to it and make it a little bigger more exciting except you should put in where the cold water start <laughs> just to keep it consistent with the secret a little bit later towards the end of this report i will give out a few pieces of information but George will have a post that will go up on the Secret Podcast Facebook page sometime next week where we will show you some pictures of what we're doing and a lot more information, but that's all I'm going to say for now. I'll tell you a little bit more towards the end. George, do you got anything newsworthy that you wanted to talk about? So we had a nice little write-up on Mysterious Writings recently. Um, There's an article we'll post it to Facebook, if it hasn't been posted already, by Jenny. She's just released a new book, so if you're into that sort of thing, go out and buy it. Yeah, I've heard that there's an actual treasure hunt in her book. Like, there's a $500 prize for something. Did you guys hear about this? I don't know. Jenny's always doing treasure hunts of some sort with prizes like that. The Mysterious Writings and the Armchair Treasure Hunt boards on Facebook, Like, yeah, they're always having treasure hunts. So I wouldn't be surprised. Cool. So that's something new you can check out if you're really into the hunt. I'm sure she writes about many, many different treasure hunts and covers a variety of subjects. And there's a hunt hidden in the book. So it's it's a puzzle in itself. That's kind of cool. Just a fair warning if you go to those, they're super not, like they don't work out the solutions in public. They're more of a you do it in private kind of thing. There you go. So it's like advanced treasure hunting, advanced armchair treasure hunting. You're at least on your own. <laughs> I read the article. It was, uh, hey, it made you guys look really good. So yay. Imagine that. Woohoo. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Jenny's great. Jenny and her husband do uh, the Mysterious Writings site, and it's been up for a long time now, and it's a great piece of information. You should check it out. Matt, got any news? Well, gosh, um, over on Quest for Treasure, a hunter named Golden Gate, who's a San Francisco native, uh, found some rather interesting things that nobody expected there to be. He found a Japanese copy of the book that seems to be period. So it was uh, from 1985. um, Okay. Yeah. I mean, the news is changing every time you go on Quest for Treasure and read about it. It's happening now. 
and it's got a Japanese translation of the quest, the book. It seems to be a approved by Byron copy of the book. It's something I'd never seen before. And the most interesting thing is to help with Japanese translation, there's a glossary in the book where difficult idioms um, in English are translated into Japanese so that they can understand exactly what's going on in the book. And those translation glossaries possibly could work out to give us a few more hints. Well, that's breaking news, like Matt said. George, I guess we'll cover that more when we know more about it. It's kind of just happening, so we don't want to really dive into it until we can get the full picture, so to speak. So who would have thought after 35, 40 years that this now just turns up? Nobody ever thought to look at an overseas copy. Does anybody know if there were uh, other Besides Japanese, if there were other translations of the book? There were some reports that there was a Spanish, there was pictures of a like a Spanish copy floating around, but it, that was another one of Byron's books. I think it was The Ultimate Dragon was the name of it. I've heard that there's a French copy, but yeah, I've never seen it, so who knows? Well, we look forward to hearing more about that as the weeks go on and as we figure out more. So that's about it for news. Right now, we're going to go to some of the recaps from the old episodes, and we're going to kind of update you on some things that we've come to find out since we've done those episodes. So we'll start with, and I'm going to try and go in order, but my brain, I'm having a senior moment, and I can't remember the exact order, so I'm going to go as close as I can to memory. And I think we start with Chicago. I actually do have an interesting update on Chicago. Recently, I had the chance to meet up with Rob Robel, who is a really nice guy and just an amazing person. He took me downtown Chicago and we had lunch. He is in the process of replacing the emerald. I had a chance to go actually see the replacement emerald. It looks exactly like the one that Byron sent him. And he even showed me the gem certificate that Byron gave him, the uh, original letter that he sent the Polaroid picture in. And some other correspondence that he had with him is kind of interesting on the the letter that he sent with the Polaroid picture. It's typed out and it says, enclosed is a Xerox copy. And then the word Xerox copy is crossed out in pencil. <laughs> and then it says, of the picture. So I guess he was, he was going to send him a copy of it. And I guess it didn't really uh, translate too well in the photocopy. So he just sent him the original. But ironically, the guys, they were you know, teenagers at the time, and they didn't realize that they probably could have kept the picture, but they, they sent him the picture back along with the key. So unlike Brian, he did not get to keep his key. He didn't keep the picture either. They sent it in, but he did show me all the other correspondence. Sorry for taking so much time. That's not the real story. The real story is after we had lunch, we walked down to Grant Park. I wanted to settle a long-time dispute once and for all, which was did Byron give an exact spot for them to dig with the clues in the book? Or did he just get them close to the spot to where they had to call in and get the information of where the exact spot was? And we've come to find out once and for all, finally, that there is a method to the madness. And the way it worked is Rob took me to the corner, the end of 10 by 13. He pointed out the original lines of trees to me that they used. Then he pointed out the exact location of the fence and the, the electrical fixture box, which was on the bridge. I asked him, where exactly did you find it? And he walked to the spot that was the intersection of the fence post with the halo and the electrical fixture. And he said, right here, right at the fence and fixture intersection. And I was totally amazed. So Specifically, you're saying at 90 degrees from each. 90 degrees from each, yes. So you would not halfway between the two. Right. And it's also basically the answer to the first part of that riddle, which was 10 by 13. First, you go to the intersection of 10 by 13. Then you go to the intersection of the fence and the fixture, and then you dig. And that was the explanation given by Rob. I took a video of it. I think I posted it to our group. We can get it out on the Facebook groups. I'm sure George can get it out there so that everybody can see once and for all that there was a precise digging spot for Chicago. It was not guesswork. They didn't need the Polaroid. They just didn't solve it right. 
They were digging holes all over the place at the end of 10 by 13. Is it in front of the fence post? Is it by the fixture box? Is it in the middle? They didn't know. They're digging holes everywhere. Finally, they get the Polaroid. The Polaroid shows that it's at the intersection of the end of the fence post and the electrical fixture box on the bridge, 90 degrees. So there it is. Problem solved. That's what I have for uh, the Chicago update. What do you guys got? on? That's brilliant. But I got two questions for you. Standing on the cast, could you see the M&B? Uh, interestingly enough, in the video, Rob actually points out that he can see the Bowman, but neither one of us could see M&B. The bridge blocks the view of that. The only other caveat to that is the direction he brings you in. So it's imperative that you come down Michigan past M&B, and then you go to the Bowman, come over to in front of Lincoln, and then enter the president's lawn from that direction. So there is that. If you don't come in from that direction, over L's shoulder isn't correct. And we thought there was something going on with Cleveland, very similar, that you had to come in from a certain direction. And that's that. That's that, then. You know, all we can do is, is work from fact. And it's been a long time coming to point this out. There's been so many arguments about what the exact spot was in Chicago. And I hope that this can finally put a rest to that and also provide some insight on how we can go forward on others. All right. Matt, did you have anything about Chicago that you wanted to talk about? You answered my questions. I'm good. All right, George. It's a toddle in town. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, we'll move on to Cleveland. The only real update I have on Cleveland is that uh, our good friend Brian Zinn will be joining us on the podcast, the formal podcast coming up, and we will be discussing Roanoke Island, or Manteo, as we say. That's all I got. Oh, wait, wait. Sorry. I am also going to Cleveland in a couple of days to meet up with Kit Palancar. So we also intend on visiting the site uh, while we're working on the puzzle. And I will uh, be sure to get some pictures of that and post that. And also, I'll post the pictures of the exact dig spot for Cleveland as well. There's some pictures floating out there. There's not a whole lot of real precise pictures with a bunch of angles and everything else. So I'll do that. Maybe I can get a fancy 360-degree camera like Matt has and take a 360 photo of that. So that's all I got on Cleveland. As a side note, Matt posted a 360-degree video of his office. It is the most boring office I've ever <laughs> seen. Matt, you need color in your life. Toys. You see, what, you see what's on the wall behind me? Did you yes. see? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was a San Francisco painting. That's it. The rest of it's where I think you had a No, there was a Pac-Man machine or something. There, there's there. an arcade machine. There's, oh, okay. there's half of a submarine. What do you want? I missed that yeah. due to the dreariness of the wall. Wait, why is there half of a submarine? Well, I'm not allowed to paint the room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to Houston. I really have nothing new on Houston. I think George and Matt may have some Houston updates. I know, Matt, you've been working with Mark a little bit on Houston, haven't you? At least trying to get a few steps more down the road. I have. Mark thinks I'm nuts. <laughs> That's okay. He's very supportive. I just want to say that I had given up on Houston till I was listening to your podcast on Houston and right in the middle of it, you guys, and I'm not going to say, but you guys uh, covered some information that I had no idea and sitting there listening to the podcast, it blew my mind. And I went, well, if that's true, then this, then this, then this, and I've got a new dig spot. So I hope to get out to Texas maybe in November and maybe meet up with Mark. That's a good time to go to Texas. I'd say any time in the winter is probably best. I'm looking forward to it. I want the ground to be not so dry that you can't do anything with it. Well, I mean, that's good that there's some progress being made on Houston. For a long time, it was kind of looked over because, you know, Mark had done his damnedest to find something and he struck out even with a bulldozer. That was that. But apparently during our podcast, uh, probably when we were talking to the parks officials, I would guess. And, you know, George, can we see, maybe we can get some more parks people on to do some interviews. I think that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yeah, we're working on that. We asked uh, John Fraser. He hasn't gotten back to me yet. I'm going to ask some people in San Francisco. We, we got some uh, requests out. So we're going to see where that leads. Yeah, we'd love to talk to the parks people. I mean, they probably know the most about the history of the parks, things that have changed and moved. And I'm sure they have tons of crazy stories that we all like to hear so much about treasure hunters and 
weird things happening. So yeah, let's try and get more of these uh, parks people on. There's plenty of parks for us to talk about as well. We're not locked in on all of the parks yet. There's still, you know, there's still some discrepancy, which we will get to right now. Let's talk about San Francisco. Oh, is there stuff to talk about in San Francisco? There is. I'm going to let Matt take this one first because this is something you wanted to bring up. It is. I'll say this. There is a documentary film coming out October 3rd, uh, The Secret of Byron Price by James Renner. Matt, you were actually interviewed for that film, weren't you? I was. I'm looking forward to seeing this uh, movie. I like anything to do with the hunt, so I can't wait to actually see this. But it was uh, like two years ago where I talked with James about the, the San Francisco hunt, where I thought it was. And when I left him where I thought it was, it was a while ago, but I think I was at the point where I was pretty sure that the cask was irretrievable because it was buried under a parking lot. Well, it's been two years. I've done more research. I've learned at the time, I thought maybe in the 80s, it was a dirt parking lot. And soon after it was paved over. And now I find it was paved long before the treasure hunt started. So it couldn't possibly have been buried in the parking lot, which means it's got to be somewhere else. And basically, I wanted to take this chance to tell people where I've been hunting. Since the TV show came out, watching all the new people progress through theory by theory by theory, covering all the stuff that in the past we've looked at and just it's like a rewind of your life right oh, it is incredible and it's happening at like five times the normal speed it just they they, <laughs> they, they explore somewhere go man that's not it and on to the next thing when that took us years i've been waiting for somebody to center in on this i just want to say this is my best guess. This is not anything but that. It's just what I think. This is where I think it probably is. I wanted to just throw this out there so other people could say, hey, that's a good idea, or hey, that's a horrible idea. You're nuts. No, or maybe they'll find something that you missed, or you know, some, some good things could happen from doing this, as they have all over the hunt we've seen. Now we have a Japanese book with possibly some hints in it, and things keep coming out of the woodwork. So, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily terrible for you to explore this. Where uh, I'll ask you the number one question in the hunt right now. So, where are you looking? I am looking at the Legion of Honor in Lincoln Park in San Francisco, which is north of Golden Gate Park. Take it back to the iconic image theory that some people believe should be beaten to death with a stick, but I still like it. <laughs> if the water tower is where you start in Chicago and the transit building is where you start in Cleveland, then I'm going to say Golden Gate Park is where you start in San Francisco. So basically, Matt is saying that the iconic image in the San Francisco image, which is image one, is Golden Gate Park in the dress. That's not where the treasure's buried, but that is the iconic image inside the painting of which you are supposed to find and start at. But Matt, there's a problem. It's a big park. It is. And if you're standing in the park and you want to leave the park, there are over 210 paths out of the park. So you can pick any number of streets to go out on. How do we find the street? There's got to be something in the image that tells us which way to go. And if you look at her hands, she's pointing at the numbers four and the numbers three. And so I looked at 43rd Street and found absolutely nothing. Realized the image is reversed, right? So then I looked at 34th Street. And if you go north, out of Golden Gate Park, and 34th Street just happens to be by the Senior Center, which I don't think has anything to do with it. If you leave on 34th Avenue and you go north, it goes straight from Golden Gate Park to Lincoln Park. Right there in the image is ahead of Lincoln to say, hey, you've reached the right spot. If you tool on into the park, which is a golf course, you will come up to the Legion of Honor. I want to point something out. You had mentioned that the image is reversed. As you're taking 34th, I think I pointed this out to you a while ago, as you're taking 34th to the Legion, when you get to 34th and Clement, which is the entrance to Lincoln Park, if you turn around, 
What do you see, Matt? I had never seen that until you pointed it out to me. On either side of the street, each house has a window that matches the sleeves of the lady. It's like two squares wide and, you know, whatever, of 18 and 20 long. And we'll get to the 18 and 20 thing in a bit, too. While we're on this, there's something I've never really understood about the San Francisco image. Um, and maybe you can explain it to me because you just talked about flipping the image, right? To get to yes. 34th. Mm-hmm. The runes on the image are upside down. Why are we not flipping it vertically as well? That's an interesting thought. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, not the runes, the, the Roman numerals. The Roman numerals are all upside down. Yeah, right, right. So why are- I did find out recently something about this, and I, you know, I don't know if it's a clue or not. It's a, a theory that I'm working on. It applied a little bit in Cleveland, and it seems to work here. You're going to call me Eric Sear or, you know, Urban Smurf here or whatever you want to call me, but... Josh. Yeah, Josh. <laughs> if you take... If you actually take a mirror, if you look at our image, there is a sort of a windowsill that goes across the back of it, the back of the image. It's plain as day. It's a sill. It probably matches to something we're supposed to see. But if you take a mirror and put it on the line of that windowsill, you'll notice that all of the upside down things become right side up in the mirror. And also, everything above that mirror line is not upside down to begin with. It's it's normal writing. So I found that out. I don't. I haven't tried to apply it to anything yet. I don't know what it is. It's just something I saw. I said, hey, these are upside down. If you look at it in a mirror, it's right side up. Oh, here's a line you can put the mirror on. It does work. It's, it's kinda, an interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. an interesting question because not only are the Roman numerals upside down, I think the yin yang symbol is also upside down. Yeah, a lot of it is. It, it appears like everything in that dress under her arms is upside down right under that line is all upside down and yeah yeah. and it's you know it's kind of interesting because the golden gate park map shape does some some strange things too when you add the mirror to it but again i you know i don't know it remains to be seen it's like anything else i just wanted to point it out matt you can continue and honestly i've left the lady behind now and i'm at the legion of honor go ahead and google map the legion of honor zoom in and as you're zooming in on the parking lot you might notice it looks a whole lot like her head and shoulders yes it's an exact match to her head and shoulders even to the point where one side and this is something that when we get to new orleans i'm, I'm going to bring this up too one side of her shoulder is a different angle and configuration than the other side and if you look at the Legion of Honor, those things match up exactly, one on each side. So it's a unique, distinct marker that if you're looking at the overhead maps, which he obviously put in these, he put tons of them. There are tons of maps in these. We'll get to those down the road, I'm sure, as they, more of them come out. But there are tons of maps. And if you look at that overhead map and you compare the shoulders and the hair and the way the curves are with that parking lot, there's a lot of things that will match up, including the Legion of Honor building as the base and part of her dress. They're her body part. Matches up to the Legion. The water pool matches up to the pearl on her neck. Um, there's a lot of things in there. Matt, I'm sure you've, you've done a, a whole expose on the number of things that line up, but there's a lot. There are a huge amount, um, which makes me, when other people say, hey, what about Coit Tower? What about the marina district yeah yeah you can do a couple matches but i know a place where there's like 30 matches the fountain in the middle of the parking lot matches the table under the clock right uh down to the point of in 1982 there was a actual center section of the fountain which held some nozzles of the fountain and if you look under the clock which looks like a leg to the clock you can actually see the centerpiece to the fountain is under the clock. Right. And there was, didn't we notice a line that split the fountain that was very reminiscent of how the clock hands were uh, angled slightly? It was like a little curve on the, the top portion yes. of it. You know what I'm talking about? You have to really yes. be there to see it. You have to look. Yes. You can't see it on map. That's true. And then there's the Legion of Honor building. It has an arch doorway that matches the window in the rock. Except the window in the rock is barred. And if you're just standing next to the Legion, you don't see the bars in the window. But if you stand at the far end of the parking lot and turn around, the columns in the back of the courtyard of the Legion of Honor match up to the 
gateway and suddenly you're looking at a barred window. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. If you haven't been there, I would say go down there and take a look for yourself. There's a lot of cool things. The rose stem spiral, you'll notice in the tops of the columns on all the columns along the Legion of Honor. There's some other existential stuff too. What, Matt, who was Mr. Spreckles? Spreckles Sugar, pure Californian. When you think sugar, you either think CNH or you think Spreckles. He was from the gold rush the sugar magnet. He cornered the market in sugar in California. A lot of places, people didn't buy sugar, they bought spreckles. But the money from that fortune is what was used to create the Legion of Honor. And there was a, in 1982, there was a brass plaque that, uh, right by the front door, but has since been moved farther into the building that explains who he was, that the building was built on money that was made from sugar. That kind of explains, uh, you know, at Stonewall's door, the air smells sweet. Interesting. Okay. So you went to the Legion of Honor. George, is everything clear on this so far? I guess. I'm still stuck on fence and fixture as a fence and fixture. Like it should be simple. This is a little too complicated for me, but I'm, I'm right there with you. He's be- George is being kind. He's going to play along. I'm, I'm being kind. I've swamped George with this enough. Matt and I have gone back and forth on this, and, and I think, you know, it's healthy. It, it allows him to lock in his solve. All the uh, backlash that he gets, uh, you know, it allows him to solidify his thoughts, and that's good. I think that's absolutely right. If I bring an idea to the group, more than likely it gets shot down. That's okay. I can handle that. That's how we work. We, we shoot each other's theories down. We come back with better ones. And, you know, then those get shot down. But we, we keep going. Let's say we're standing right in front of the arch doorway and you turn around. We don't want to spend all night on this. I just want to touch on a few things. To your left is a statue of El Cid. It's my opinion that the El Cid statue is shown clearly in the image. To your right is a statue of Joan of Arc. And, of course, behind you is the Legion of Honor. Straight across from you is Fort Point Golden Gate Bridge. And Highway 1, you know, the part in her hair that you can see the Golden Gate Bridge, that's right in front of you. It's directly in view. That is the view from the Legion of Honor. And framed by the two piers of the Golden Gate Bridge, the two towers of the Golden Gate Bridge, if you look into the bay, is Angel Island. That's the view you see from that spot. And now something is the shape of that, right? Okay, so the blue blob. My theory for the blue blob is it's actually a view of the Golden Gate without the Golden Gate Bridge in place. And I'll post a picture I made to show that because if that's the blue blob, then it's emphasizing the area of Land's End, which is where the Legion of Honor is. Right. And that's a big area. It's, I mean, it's not a small, it's huge. That's true. And if you look at her left hand sleeve, assuming the picture is not reversed, that's where it gets really confusing. The normal picture, right hand sleeve, is the outline of the coast um, right by the Legion of Honor. He's talking about the table side of the image. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I'll add, and we can move on, unless you want to talk about the memorial, but I'll add that if you're standing and facing the Legion of Honor, If you turn to your right and walk down the little hill there that is part of the driveway, you'll come to the Chinese memorial. There's a big Chinese memorial there. It was put up in the 60s. It was there when he buried the casks. So if we're talking about a cultural reference, we also have that at the Legion of Honor. Also, we have the Siemens Memorial, which uh, seems to very well match up with the object underneath the table. And then real quickly, Twain's attention. There is Fort Point. Mark Twain wrote about Fort Point. That is directly in front of you. There is the Legion of Honor right behind you. Mark Twain wrote about, actually not the Legion of Honor, he wrote about the medal, the Legion of Honor. And then to your right is the statue of Joan of Arc. And when a fan asked Mark Twain, what was the best book you ever wrote? He said, well, undoubtedly, the best book I ever wrote was Joan of Arc, the biography of Joan of Arc. So there is so much around the Legion of Honor. And again, I could go on for the rest of this podcast if you wanted me to. I know you don't. I will post pictures. Do you want me to put it on the podcast Facebook page? Where would you like me to drop pictures? You should probably put it on the San Francisco 
page. Do we have a San Francisco page, George? Uh, we actually, no, we, we do not. <laughs> Bill had a really active Facebook page, so we didn't want to take that over. He's a really good moderator, so we just left that. that. Okay. I think if we post it on our main page and then clue him into it, he may, you know, repost it. I think it's... I'm going to post it everywhere. There you go. It's, you know, I want so people me, to come play. So, Matt, let me ask you this. One of the comments that we've gotten is that we present these theories, but we never present any alternates. Like, we never say why... We always say it's this. We never say why it's not this. So the San Francisco painting, there, there's a lot of really simple, you know, ideas for things like the the window at the top could be from what Shakespeare's garden and the rocks kind of look like the waterfall in Golden Gate Park and the rose stem looks like the banister. There's a lot of really simple image matches that people have made over the years. Why aren't those the image matches? Why is it Legion of Honor and not those things? It's simply this, and that is the amount of matches at the Legion of Honor far and away exceeds all the other ones. I have found the Rose Garden in Golden Gate Park. I found Prayer Book Cross. I found the Goddess of the Forest. I was down at the windmills. I was up at the Conservatory of Flowers. And everywhere you go, you will find something. You will find a match. They're all over. What you're saying is that basically you're standing on this because there's an immense amount of image matches in one small area at the Legion, whereas in other parts of the city, they're kind of spread around. Is that the basis? Yeah. You can always find a couple matches, especially if you're looking for things like swirls. Me and Matt have gone back and forth on all kinds of things, and I'm a proponent of, I, it could be at the Legion of Honor. I've been not restricting myself to that also, and I think people in our group are looking elsewhere as well. Just because we feel we've found something, I think Matt's just kind of putting out a, a call for other people to investigate it. But I've been looking at Coit Tower. Forrest Blight found a interesting map match that corresponds with Coit Tower, and the, the panels on Coit Tower do match up as squares. And there, there's some, like Matt said, there's matches all over the place. There's a park in the mission that just happens to be between 18th and 20th Streets. And that's the, the number of squares on each side of the sleeve there. So there's 18th and 20th with the arms crossing over in the middle. That can also be represented at Golden Gate Park. There's two parks that work with the 18 and 20 thing. So there isn't a lack of interesting things to look at. I'll certainly investigate the Legion somewhere. I've gone so far as to investigate the backside of the Legion and looking for, I think the clue that I was stuck on was uh, near Ace is high. So I was saying if an ace is high, it's 11. So it would be near 11. And then some people were focusing on Apollo 11. And is there an image of Apollo on the back of the Legion? And there's all kinds of stuff. The puzzle was so ambiguous. He made it so ambiguous that you can really apply it in many different areas. And, you know, I don't think George is unfounded in what he's expressing, the concerns of the people online. It's really hard when you first start and you don't have your head wrapped around all this. And yeah, you want to know why. Why is it this and not this? The answer comes in that the puzzle uses a confirmation method. And George, I think you pointed this out to me. In Masquerade, they used combinations of the image and the wording to give you the puzzle so that you had to use both of them, one to confirm the other. And I think there's a lot of that going on here. Something you find on the ground, such as those windows, on 34th Street, and the windows in the image are confirming the numbers 34, and then you're on 34th Street, standing in front of a big sign that says Lincoln Park. There's an image of Lincoln in the image. There's a lot of confirming factors that go with the reasons we choose the things we do. It's not, we don't just go arbitrary. There's probably Lincoln's and Kennedy's or whatever you think that, you know, Reagan, all over the place, uh, avenues, monuments likenesses all over the place. But it's when these things meet and confirm each other. We have 34th, we have these windows, we have Lincoln, we have a map of the overhead of the Legion of Honor matching up to something in the image. It's the culmination of all of these things that confirm each other is the reason we're drawn to specific spots, as opposed to there's an overhead match of what looks like Strawberry Hill in the middle of the park. But what else is there to confirm? Is there a big strawberry somewhere? Is there, you know, the, if there was, then I'd be looking there. Just 
being honest. So does that seem logical, Matt, as an explanation? I think you explained it incredibly well. And again, this is just my theory. It is not the theory. It, and many, many people disagree with me and that's okay. But people have been asking me where I think it is. And this is where I think it is. I've been digging up here since 2011. I've made, I think, 15 or 16 permitted. Actually, we didn't need permits then, but digs with permission. And I will put up a picture with a map of every spot I dug so people don't redig where I look so we don't have to duplicate. I'd love to hear what other people think about this. Yeah, and Matt is readily available to talk online. You just tag him in a post or something, and he pretty much monitors stuff going on San Francisco especially, so it's not a problem. We can move on to St. Augustine. I'm not going to talk about an alligator. I know that's what everybody wants. I'm not going to do it. But uh, George, this is your hometown. Have there been any more developments on Fountain of Youth? Has the digging nonsense stopped? Is it still going on? Is you know What's going on down there? As far as I know, the digging nonsense has stopped. I haven't heard any weird complaints. There's still some random holes on Magnolia Avenue, generally at the same places. But other than that, the digging has kind of stopped. It seems like a lot of people in St. Augustine have gotten away from the Fountain of Youth. There's a lot more people now looking at uh, Anastasia Island and in that kind of area. It's a little strange to me, but, you know, Fountain of Youth's been dug a lot. So people, I think people are starting to give up. It's it's a little weird. Well, I think it's good that the hunt's opening up, not just there, but in all the other cities as well. People are looking kind of everywhere, which was something we didn't have four or five years ago. People were really focused. I will say that the community around St. Augustine, at least the diggers around St. Augustine, is getting really healthy. I, I think I've been invited to like 10 or 11 different people's digs now, and they've all been super really nice people and very friendly and, and very respectful. So the community is really good out here. When are you going to go dig my spot, George? I have a request in with John. Generally, around this time of year, there's a lot of stuff going on at the park, so it's kind of hard to get permission to do anything. I think there's five different spots for five different people that I'm supposed to be digging at some point in the near future. Well, this is in season down there, right? Or it's getting getting close to it? Well, we're at the tail end of tourist season and sort of like right now is when the old people come out to play. And a lot of parks like the Fountain of Youth are going to have special events for their you know annual members. And so there's just a lot of stuff going on in the city right now. So moving on to a topic of some contention, uh, New Orleans, we covered in a recent podcast, we dropped some somewhat interesting news on everybody about some things we found in New Orleans. I'm going to let George talk about whatever he wants or doesn't want to talk about regarding that. All I'm going to bring up is something that was left out. I spaced when I was editing, and I forgot to include a very important part of Joellen's interview, which is we asked her whether the casks were fired or not. And she said that she believed that they were not, that they were poured and I can almost verify that to be a fact when I actually received the cask from her, the one that is being painted now and that will be buried in the ground. It was most definitely not fired. It was a bisque-type uh, material, and it definitely didn't seem fired. And as we now know, there are small pieces of metal inside the cask that were used for support. So when you fire something that has metal in it, it's very tricky. It's much easier to either hand sculpt or pour. So my belief, and based on Joellen's recollection, is that the bottom portions of all the casts were poured from a mold, and that the top parts of the casts must have been made by hand. I don't see how you could get metal inside of something when you're pouring, is that even possible? It's, it's possible. It's, it's pretty easy to get it in when you're pouring it like that. It's just you absolutely can't fire it. Well, you can, but it's super tricky, kind of expensive. You need a, a special type of metal, and the casks don't have that type of metal in it from, you know, from what I can see. Rob Robel brought his cask with him when we had lunch, and I examined his cask very carefully. I'm telling you, the lines, everything is exactly the same as the one that I received. So if you told me they were all poured, I couldn't be in disagreement because I don't know how you can get that much detail exactly the same on every single one of them without having a mold. There's this theory that uh, there's a certain type of way of firing ceramic where you essentially use a lot of heat on the outside of the ceramic and it kind of fires what's 
on the surface what's on the surface and then the inside of it just is kind of left to dry on its own and really we i don't think we got confirmation that it was done that way but your cask looks like it was sort of cured that way it certainly Um, did yeah absolutely and if that's the case i'm guessing that all of them were done that way but it's just a guess with metal in it, you wouldn't want to kiln fire in it, but you could certainly put it in an oven and dry it. I guess the point that we're getting at with all this is that if a piece of unfired clay were to be sitting inside of a swamp-filled area, just sitting in water for 30 years, it would eventually crush down and disintegrate and turn back into clay. We don't know. I mean, George and I have had long talks about this. We don't know what that is that we found. And we're still trying to verify it. There's, we're still trying to get things figured out as to whether we had hit something or not. But I'll just say this. The two dimples on the pillar directly in front of where we were digging are an exact match to the dimples on that clock when you turn it upside down. The shape, the side and shape of them are very unique and you don't find it in any other columns. Maybe there is another column like that. I have not seen it yet. But they were so precise and so exact that I find it hard to believe that we were in the wrong area. Maybe we were in the wrong spot. Maybe we hit some plaster that was knocked off the building when the face was redone. You know, maybe we hit the cast. There was plexiglass there. I don't know what to say about it. But scientifically, if a unfired piece of clay were to sit in water for a long period of time, it would basically disintegrate into just a lump of nothing. And that's what we found, a bunch of lumps of nothing. Maybe a few pieces had some distinct marks, but that's, aren't you trying to figure that out now? Like scrutinize those small pieces that do have marks on them and try and figure out what they could be? Because Brian's cask was broken, we found more stuff that sort of matched up to yours. I'm still not enough for me to say. 100%. Right. We don't want to give the impression that we had found something. We just wanted to report what had happened. We would be remiss if we just didn't say anything. Yeah, we went to New Orleans. We dug a hole and we found... I got drunk. George got drunk. We did a podcast. We dug a hole and found some ceramic stuff and then we went home. Oh, whoa, whoa. Back up a little bit. So we just wanted to report what had happened. And uh, is it the cask? Who knows? No, yes, maybe. I don't know. If one turns up in Armstrong Park, I don't think it will, but then that proves us wrong. Maybe Jason will find one. Anyway, Matt, do you have anything on New Orleans? Anything new? I got nothing. All right. We're running a little bit long here. So moving on to Milwaukee real quickly. I was just up there with Savril. I checked out Lake Park again. There were humongous holes dug around Walcott, the back of Walcott, the side of Walcott, everywhere around General Walcott. Giant holes uncovered, just left. Lazy diggers. But ironically, the spot that I posted was untouched. So that's the only news I have to report there. And that's all I'm going to say. Damn it, guys. We were going to be rich. I know. we were. <laughs> I went over to go check the spot and Savril said he felt a couple drops of rain. We thought it best to just, you know, call it a day. Man, you guys are wusses. Rain chases <laughs> you off rain. a dig. Oh my I God. went all the way to Milwaukee, but it was slightly drizzly out, so I went home. All right. We're just teasing. We're just teasing, Josh. Yeah. Hey, most of our digging in San Francisco is at night under a heavy fog. No, <laughs> yeah, you, you guys are stoned, so it's different. <laughs> yeah. So uh, nothing new really in Milwaukee. I just, I grew up there. I went back to visit. I saw some friends, some treasure related friends. We went down to the park. We checked it out. All we found were new holes with nothing to show. Uh, Ravine Road is still closed off uh, for repairs. Not much going on in Milwaukee. Uh, The big one, I guess, would be New York City. And we just did a podcast on New York City. And I, for one, would like to thank Ben Asen and the Price family for their kind words about the new hunt. And also, I'm going to thank people for making the New York City episode one of the most downloaded episodes we have. Thank you all so much for listening, and I'm sure that we will be able to present more information like that down the road with other people who worked with Byron. These personal interest stories seem to be a a great way for people to get to know someone who has passed on and someone whose work we admire almost daily. So thank you all for doing that. And I'm going to turn it over to Matt and George now for one last little uh, report 
to catch us up on the cities. Uh, what do you got on New York, Matt? There's been some work going on. I want to call out uh, Q4T Hunter Carlene because uh, she's posted a couple videos on her theory for uh, Prospect Park. I thought it was, uh, you know, lots and lots of uh, good ideas on there. I mean, she's been in that park since she started this. So, I mean, I think one of the first posts that I saw her make was talking about Prospect Park and everybody kind of gave her shit about it. She stayed there this whole time. Andy was on that park for a long time, too, and he pointed out a lot of interesting things. And when I went there to look at what Andy had pointed out, I started finding more interesting things. So I don't think you can rule it out. And again, as with San Francisco, Matt's found something completely different. Right. But I'm not talking about that now. (laughs) I will say it works. uh, The iconic image is going to be the Statue of Liberty. You take the ferry over to Battery Park. And then magic happens, and you end up at the dig site. Right. Once you get that worked out, we look forward to hearing more on that, maybe on another report down the road. But I think Prospect Park should be right up there in the running. I think Ben Asen had mentioned that he felt the cask was in Brook. What, is, what were his words? I don't care what the book says. There's got to be one of these things buried in Brooklyn. It's also kind of important to point out that he said for a fact that Byron didn't go to Fort Hamilton. Like so many theories about New York have centered around Fort Hamilton, Fort Hamilton High. Oh, right. Byron didn't even go there. Yeah, that's true. Somebody had made a random post one time that just said, Byron Price went to school at Fort Hamilton High. Therefore, uh, you know, this, this, and this. And for a long time, I tried to look that up. I even found some kind of a Google search that actually corroborated that story, but it must have been another B Price that went there. Um, I mean, it's shortly after Byron died, there was his obituary, obviously, you know, and obituaries are now archived online. People can comment on them. Shortly after he died, somebody commented on his obituary that, you know, he was a uh, a school friend of Byron when they went to high school at, I forget the name of the high or the high school, but it wasn't Hamilton High. Midwood. That was Midwood. Yeah, Midwood. That they were school friends from Midwood. Right. So there it is. That little detail has been cleared up. I I just want to say, according to my iconic image theory, which says, you know, which should be beaten to death with a stick. Right. You can leave the Statue of Liberty. You can go north to Battery Park. I can't see any possible way of getting to the Verrazano Narrow Bridge. So you're wrong? (laughs) (laughs) The, The bridge can't be the giant, you know, the gray giant. So I can't see it. I just don't see it. There's a lot of things uh, with Verrazano's name on it in New York City, not just a bridge. So it is coming to light how some of these clues work, and they're not the way we thought they, they work. At least there's evidence to show that. You know, you're absolutely justified in questioning us on what we're presenting you. Absolutely. We're doing the best we can with what we've learned about this puzzle in nine years and Uh, For Matt, over 30 years. We try to corroborate the things that we present with some kind of fact to back it up, but you have to be a little bit privy to how the secret works and you have to have a little bit of knowledge on the, the puzzle and other instances in the puzzle where he's done these little wordplay, word tricks, and know that they exist throughout the book in many different ways and forms. So there's people like George who think that things should be taken simple and There's even very simple wordplay riddles in there, which make a lot of sense. I've discussed some of them with George, and he says, yeah, you know, that makes total sense. But I can't get this leap of faith that you're trying to sell me over here. So we talk back and forth a lot about these clues, and we present things that we feel are solid in hopes that you'll check them out and tell us we're wrong, or tell us we're right, or tell us you found something else. Just remember... I'm right, they're wrong. That's the whole purpose of the podcast, people, is to get you thinking about different spots, different ideas, different ways to look at the puzzle, and for us to present information that's new. Lastly, I said I would tell you a few things about the tribute hunt. First off, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, our good friend and teammate Forrest Blight has upped the ante, so to speak, with 10 one-ounce bars of Inglehard 0.999 fine silver. Now you have some silver. If you want to make a setting for the gem, you can do that. Anyway, there's 10 bars of silver added to the prize. The cask is looking amazing. We're going to have some pictures to post later this week, but we are getting it painted by an expert 
who is mimicking the fully painted cask from the book as closely as possible. We've tried to get some photos from Ben Asen of the painted cask from the book, and we're using the book as a reference to paint it exactly, but uh, that picture wasn't exactly reprinted with the greatest quality. So we're doing our best. It does look fantastic, though. The person who is doing it is an extremely accomplished artist. They have been doing just a fantastic job lately. It's gold and silver, and it's just like the original in so many ways, and I would say even better in some ways. It's incredible looking. We'll have some pictures to show you on that this week. This is a tribute hunt. In order to take part in this, you must have a current understanding of the secret. Otherwise, you'll be able to make as much sense out of it as you can out of the secret. So, you kind of got to know what's going on to be able to make sense out of what we're presenting. The puzzle will work in the same fashion as the secret. Kit Palancar and I are going to take great care in trying to present the clues in the way that they were presented in the secret, and we will use all the resources that we have available to us to make sure that happens correctly. Now, there will be some exception to the rule. The main one, I'll tell you tonight. Because the image and verse are being presented to you as a pair, the city may not be obvious in the normal way. In fact, it's going to be pretty hard to find. In the other 12, you need to use the image to decode the city in order to match the verse up with the image. With this one, the verse and image are being given to you together. Therefore, the city is not needed to match the two together. It's going to be way more difficult for you to find the city. You're going to have to figure out what it is, where in North America that this thing is buried by deciphering other clues. And that's all I'm going to give you. Me, myself, and I will be the only person who knows where this is buried. There will be a lockbox with the solution, which I will give to Andy Abrams, except I will keep the key and attach it to a in-case-I-die letter, the key to be given to Andy. And that's about it. We'll have more details as we go. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm going to Cleveland in a couple of days here to meet up with Kit, work on the hunt, and we will have some pictures and updates available for you after I've done that. We want to thank you for joining us for this special report. We know it ran a little bit long, but we hope you don't mind. On behalf of Matt Sparks and George Ward, I'm John Michaels. Thanks for listening. You take care now.